0: so before we get into it let's pray God we bless your holy name and and here's what we don't want to take lightly God is that your presence is here right now right here and we thank you so much for that. And so, God, I just pray tonight as we get into a tough subject matter. And I admit, I feel so inadequate to be preaching on this. I feel like a preschooler on training wheels. <laughs> and so, God, I just pray that it would become clear and that you would pour out your spirit just like the song on us tonight and that someone would be changed by it and that we would have a clear vision of who you are. So God, be with us. Bless this night and bless your people. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. So like Caleb said, tonight is the start of our new series. And it's going to be more than just a series. It's going to be a journey. And I know it has been for me just even preparing for this. And over these next eight weeks, We are going to delve into a most beloved and familiar portion of Scripture found in Matthew 6. Now, you can travel anywhere in the world, just about, go into any Christian church, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Pentecostal, Baptist, interdenominational, Lutheran, Methodist, just to name a few. And along the way, you will connect with what Scripture calls the Lord's Prayer. And some of you know it as the Our Father. Now, scholars and theologians alike agree that the Lord's Prayer is the richest source in the entire Bible about how to pray, that it is a gold mine of riches. And I bet the majority of us here tonight can recite it by heart without even thinking about it. And if you grew up Catholic, like me, 12 years of Catholic schooling right here, that you can say it in under 10 seconds, seven seconds to be exact. Yeah, I can say it really fast. See, when I was a kid and went to confession, you know, confessing my sins to a priest, you could always tell how bad someone had been by how many Our Fathers and Hail Marys they were given to pray for their penance, punishment. And you're like, oh man, this is going to take a while. So you learn how to say it really, really quick so you can get out of there. Now Martin Luther, the great theologian, said this, how many pray the Lord's Prayer a thousand times in the course of a year? And yet, if they were to keep on doing so for a 1,000 more years, they would not have really prayed or tasted it at all. In other words, we have prayed, let me personalize it, I have prayed this prayer my whole life without truly understanding the depths of it. And the danger and the tragedy of that is is that I have become so familiar with it that I have missed and overlooked how profound and beautiful and rich it really is. It's like this couple I know who attend our church here at BBC, who live right by the train tracks in Matua. I'm talking the train tracks are in their backyard, eye level with their kitchen window. And when a train passes by, it literally shakes the house, and it sounds like it is going to go right through their lounge. And you're like, what the heck is going on? And you're holding on your furniture, thinking, oh my gosh, it's an earthquake. And you look look over at them, and they're like, cool as a cucumber. They're like, what? What's the matter? What's the problem? They have become so used to, so familiar with the noise, that they don't even hear it, feel it, or notice it anymore. And so it can be with the Lord's Prayer. We are so familiar with it that we miss the beauty and the wonder of this most famous of prayers. We're like, what? What prayer? What riches? And for many of us, the very subject of prayer can be intimidating, confusing, awkward, dry, boring. And our greatest fear is being asked to pray out loud, or being asked to pray for someone. We either don't know what to say, or we fear not using the right words. And you cringe inwardly, I know you, when, you are on, when you're at church on a Sunday morning, and the MC's on stage start a sentence with, like Caleb did tonight, now turn to your neighbor and say, or turn to your neighbor and pray. And you're like, oh no, man, this is going to be so awkward. Now. I'm gonna show you a quick little vid, which I think is so funny, and it's by Michael Jr., the Christian comedian. And I know I keep showing vids from this guy, but he is so funny. But he captures the essence of awkward prayer. So have a look.
1: I remember going to church as an adult, right? For the first time when I started going to church and I walk in and the pastor was like, he said, I want you to pray with your neighbor. And I'm like, well, my neighbor don't go to this church. I don't know if you <laughs> You want me to call my neighbor on the phone? That's creepy. I ain't gonna do that. Right, then they explained to me, right? Your neighbor's a person sitting next to you. Listen, I'm brand new at this Christian stuff. I don't not, I didn't even know you're supposed to pray out loud, let alone with this lady. I don't even know this lady. What am I supposed to pray about? Lord, help these bumps go down on this lady's face. I don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about. I don't know what I'm supposed to pray about, right? She went first. She was praying all good and she must have been John the Baptist's little sister or something. <laughs> pray. She was like, Dear Heavenly Father, you said in your word in the sixth chapter, the third, third verse of the book of Matthew, the 601st word on page 1248. <laughs> Lord, you said, but seek. S is in search. He is in everywhere. He is in excellent. K is in kingdom. You're the Alpha Nisi, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. I'm thinking, man, she even knows his nicknames. <laughs> now, it's my turn to pray, right? But I don't got the spiritual vocabulary to just, but I'm not gonna let her out pray me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, God, first of all, you are good people, you know? You are good, Lord, you are good. You were good to the last drop, Lord. Um, cause Lord, I, I just gotta obey my thirst, Lord. You know, cause choosey moms choose Jesus. So, Lord, cause you know, as the rec- as the rocket's red glare, Lord, it gave proof to the night, Lord. I believe I can fly. Amen. Right.
0: So awkward prayer. I believe I can fly. I love that. Now, who can relate to that? I mean, I am no expert at all on prayer, not even a little bit. So to prepare for this series, um, I have been reading a book by Tim Keller, who I love so much, called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. And let me just say that this book has wrecked me totally, like fetal position wrecked me, and I'm not even halfway through it. It's not the kind of book that you read quickly. But in it, Tim Keller says that prayer is continuing a conversation that God started, that God initiated, that he made the first move. Prayer is continuing a conversation that God started through his word, by his spirit, by his grace, which eventually becomes, with some practice, a full encounter with him. And that is what we are after in this series, that we would, by the Holy Spirit, encounter with some practice, God through prayer in a life-altering way that we would see the Lord's prayer again like it's the first time. Because as beloved as the Lord's prayer is, when we mechanically pray and mindlessly recite it without letting it sink down into our souls, it, it can become what it was given to fix. Now that statement will become clearer in a minute, but I just want to set the premise before we go on. The Bible says that the reason why you're here is to commune with God. Colossians 1.16 says that all things are made by him and for him, so you are made for God. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, so you are made to know him. And Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So you are made for God, you're made to know him, you're made to love him, and you are made to commune with him. And one of the ways, one of the main ways God's people communicate and commune with God is through prayer. There's other ways, like worship, but prayer is one of the main ways. And we see this all through the Bible. It's just like one big prayer. Beginning with Adam and Eve and how they walked and talked with God in the garden. Abraham talking and walking with God in his journey in the desert. Moses talking to God in a burning bush and in the tent of meeting. The people of Israel were a praying people. The name Israel means to wrestle with God, to pray, to ask questions, to struggle. The Bible itself contains prayer books. The book of Psalms is a book of prayers. And if you look at the life of Jesus, the one thing that he did more than anything else was that he prayed. When crowds of people surrounded him, when life was busy, when the needs and demands of the people were so great, he withdrew and he prayed. Jesus knew that prayer matters and the disciples noticed it says in Luke 11 that the disciples asked Jesus teach us how to pray lord and in all four gospels there's only one recorded request that the of the disciples asking Jesus to teach them anything and it's this teach us to pray now think about that they saw Jesus preach they saw him heal they saw him calm storms they saw him raise bodies from the dead and yet There is no record of the disciples asking Jesus how to preach, heal, calm storms, or raise the dead. They asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I find that incredible because these were Jewish boys. They had grown up in a Jewish community where you prayed a lot. But they could see that the way Jesus prayed was vastly different to the way they prayed. They could sense something in Jesus' prayers that was so different. Something about his source, his his power, his perspective, his sense of peace. So they asked him, teach us to pray. And Jesus answers them by starting with how not to pray, how not to do it. Matthew 6 says this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray... Go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay, so the first way Jesus says, the first way he says, I don't want a performance. Don't make prayer a show. That when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray that they may be seen by others. He says, I don't want that. Don't do that. He goes, I don't want all that flowery praying. But let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to pray out loud. He's also not saying it's wrong to pray in an ecstatic way in front of people. But he is saying it's wrong to do that with the motivation to be seen and applauded by others. God isn't into the show. God wants a heart that desires to authentically commune with him. So he says, go into your room and close the door and talk to me there. Go where there is no show. And bring your real self to me there is when it's just me and you. And even though you can't see me, I can see you. And when I see you pouring your heart out to me and praying and being real and authentic, I will reward you. Now, what a promise that is, church. Now, here's the reality check for us, and I blame Tim Keller's book for this quote, so don't blame me. If the only time you talk to God is in a crowd or a public setting and you never talk to him privately, you need to check your heart. I need to check my heart. I read a quote in the same book from an English scholar who wrote a warning to successful and popular ministers that was so convicting. I almost didn't show it, but well, it's not up here, but I'll read it out. He said this. A minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is on his knees in secret before God Almighty, that he is and no more. I thought, oh man. In other words, the most important thing in the most important thing in your life is your personal, intimate relationship with God. And we say that again, the most important thing in your life is your personal intimate relationship with God and everything else flows from that one thing. Now the next thing Jesus addresses is that when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Other translations say don't use meaningless repetitions or don't keep on babbling. Now that word babbling in Greek is bada logeo. means to speak and bada means Well bada is a word that's in onomatopoeia. You can think back to your English days. Onomatopoeia is a word that sounds like what it is, like bam or pow. Babbling sounds like babbling. So what Jesus is saying is don't babble. They actually didn't say the word babble, they said the word bada. So Jesus says, when you pray to me, don't go bada, 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 which is apparently what they did. You see, back then in Jesus' day, there would be these people who would pray these really, really long prayers. And it's not wrong to pray really long prayers, but they would do it because they thought that they would be heard for their many words. They would go on and on and on in a desperate plea for attention. And they thought, if I just keep saying everything I can think of, then I can twist God's arm to do what I want. And that's the way the pagans of the day would do it too. They were scared of the deities, so they would do these religious services with chanting to try and manipulate the gods. And God says, when you pray, don't pray to me like that. You're not going to move me by your many words, or, or how long you pray. It's not about that. Jesus says, "Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him." Your father knows what you need before you ask him, and I know for many of us, we're like, uh, "But isn't that what prayer is all about? Me asking God for stuff and hoping that He answers?" I think the point Jesus is trying to make is that it's okay to pray and ask God for what you need. It's just that he already knows what it is that you need. So when you pray, don't start there. The disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray, Lord. And Jesus answers with this. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. That's how you start. He says, when you commune with God, the perspective I want you to have is that of a father. And I think that's an incredible invitation. Those two words, our father, to the disciples would have been shocking and revolutionary. Jesus is giving us permission to speak to God, God Almighty, who created the heavens and the earth, who will judge us when we die, that we are to speak to God like he's our father, like he's our dad. That, for the disciples, would have been mind-blowing. You see, throughout the Old Testament, God was either Elohim, the strong one, El Shaddai, the mighty one, or Yahweh, I am that I am. They wouldn't even say Yahweh because it was so holy. They wouldn't even write it down in full. They would leave out the vowels because to write it, it was too irreverent, too familiar, too personal. And yet Jesus says, when you pray, start like your family. I love that. Notice Jesus doesn't start saying by saying, this then is how you should pray. Our king in heaven, though he is. He doesn't say, um, our Lord in heaven, though he is. No, he starts with our father in heaven, because that's what he is. And in the Aramaic, it would have been the word Abba, which means daddy. And you know, there is no use of Abba as an address to God in all the extensive prayer literature of Judaism until Jesus. You see, all through Jesus' life on earth, he only ever referred to God as Father. Like over 70 times, Jesus calls God Father. And the first recorded words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospels is when he goes missing and his parents find him in the temple, and Jesus says, do you know, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? And the last words out of Jesus' mouth before he died was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. There is only one time in all of scripture that Jesus referred to God as anything other than Father. It was just before he died on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now theologians call that the crucifixion within the crucifixion. When all the sins of the world, past, present, future, were all laid upon him. And in that moment, he became an offering for sin. And God the Father turned his face away from his son. And for the first time in all of eternity or human history, Jesus and his father were separated. You see, Jesus voluntarily gave up intimacy with his father so that we could have intimacy with the father. The Abba Father type of intimacy. He experienced alienation, so we would never have to. John 1 12 says, But to all who believe in him and accept him, that is Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. What that means is when you put your faith in Jesus, adoption is now on the table. It took the father sending his only son into the world to live the perfect life I couldn't, to die the death that I, should, that I deserved, to raise from the dead on the third day. He did it all, all of it, so that we could join the family. In other words, he became what we are so we could become what he is, a son, a daughter. I love how John says it in 1 John 3. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Now, we could just go home right there just on that. Romans 8 says this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Oh, no. Indeed, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we get to call him Abba, Father. And because we are adopted into the family, we can now come boldly to the Father anytime and anywhere because we are his kids. And listen, church, here is what will never happen when you come boldly into your heavenly Father's presence. Here's what will never, ever happen. Remember this? Remember that? (laughs) And it went viral. CNN guy doing an interview and he's talking and everybody in the whole world's watching this. And look who comes in. His kids come boldly in to, mess, to come in and see daddy. And just as quick, and this is going live, and just as quick, mama comes and drags them right out, boldly, out of the presence of the father. Look at that. She drags them right out. It was so hilarious. But listen, that will never, ever happen to you when you come into God's presence. Mama's not going to come drag you out. Amen? so hilarious now here's an incredible reality our God is infinitely powerful let me do it one more time our God is infinitely powerful and yet intensely personal father our God is infinitely powerful and yet an intensely personal father And when we start to understand who it is that we're talking to when we pray, we have a greater understanding of who we are and why we're here on the planet. And I know for many of you here tonight, myself included, that when you hear the word Father, it doesn't bring up the best of memories. You're not alone. I remember learning, uh, hearing about a campaign that one of the greeting card companies did in the prison system in the States. They provided greeting cards for inmates to send to their mothers for Mother's Day. Now, it was such a roaring success that they decided to do it again for Father's Day. But you know what? Over 80% of the inmates didn't want the cards because they didn't have anyone to send it to or they just didn't want to. How sad is that? And I know for many of you, you will relate to that. And I don't know your experience, what your experience is or has been with your earthly fathers. And I hope it was wonderful. And if it was, you need to call him on the phone and say, thank you, Daddy. You need to say that. You need to call him up and say, thank you. But if it wasn't, here's what I know for sure, is that God can heal a skewered and messed up perspective, because I know he did it for me. And by the grace of God, I married a really, really good guy. And let me be clear, not a perfect guy by any means, (laughs) but a good Kiwi bloke. And so much healing has happened in my heart as I have watched my husband, Peter, father our two girls. And there they are there. They were two and four there. And I've had the privilege of watching my girls flourish under such a dad, as Kiwi as he is. And he, but even on Peter's best day of being an earthly dad to our girls, an earthly father, it doesn't even come close on his best day to your heavenly father. Luke 11 says If then, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our God is infinitely powerful and intensely personal Father. That means he is strong enough to meet your needs and that your Abba, your dad, your heavenly father loves you and he wants to commune with you. What a marvelous thing to contemplate. And what would life be like if you and I walked out of here tonight knowing the God of the universe is my dad? That he loves me and that he can take care of me. That he's strong and he's loving. For so many of us, the reason why we don't pray honestly is that we don't believe one of those two things. You believe that God doesn't care about you or believe that, or you believe that maybe he isn't even there to answer your prayer request or to meet your needs so you don't talk to him. But God wants you to know that he's strong and he's loving. And if you can get that mindset and walk out here tonight saying, my job is to commune with my Heavenly Father, that He loves me, and that He's strong enough to care for me, that will revolutionize your life. Amen? Your Father longs to talk to you. So as we close, it's only a short sermon. If I could have the band come up. Can I encourage you that during this series, during this next eight weeks of this series, that you commit praying the Lord's Prayer daily. Now the Lord's Prayer isn't a formula to recite, but a template like bullet points of how to pray. It's a starting point. And can I ask that we commit to pray it three times a day, morning, noon, and night during the, for the duration of this series? David and Daniel in the Bible made it their custom to pray morning, noon, and night. And a few weeks back, um, Bruce Gilmore shared how one of the things that he put into practice on the road back to recovery from burnout was that he stopped and prayed three times a day. Who remembers when he said that? I didn't forget that. That was amazing. Now, you could set your alarm to remind you. But as you pray, I'm going to ask that you slow it right down, that you linger and savor it and let it unfold before you. And remember who it is that you are talking to. And as you start with our Father in heaven, would you linger there? Let God speak to you about his fatherness, what his fatherness means. Let him restore and heal broken perspectives and mindsets that maybe you have projected onto your heavenly Father. And I know I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. It's still a journey. It's still a work in progress. But it's still, we're still talking him and I. But he started the conversation and I love that. He is a good, good father. And we are so loved by him. So as our benediction, let's stand and say the Lord's prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name